1: We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was and the way it is in your
3: memories.
0: All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. I'm your host, Todd McCartney. And tonight we have podcast episode 43.5, where we're going to be talking with Chris DeBeck, who worked at MGM Studios doing the filming. So we mentioned this in episode 43, that we'd have something coming up um, to go hand in hand with the game show episode. So I think you'll enjoy this. But uh, as with me always, uh, tonight we have Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight, Hal?
3: Aloha. Doing just fine. Thank you. Good. And Mr. Brian P. Miles. Yo, from Philadelphia. How are
4: you doing tonight, Brian? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. Can't complain. Can't complain. Looking, looking looking, good, Todd. Looking good, Billy Ray. Feeling good, Lewis.
0: All right. So before we get to our main topic here in our interview with Chris, uh, we want to remind all of our listeners of the upcoming Lake and Lagoon Discovery Tour. There are not a lot of tickets left, but if you act quickly, you can still get on the tour. We've got a handful of tickets left. Uh, For those of you who may not have heard or are new to listening to us, the Lake and Lagoon Tour uh, is a tour around Bay Lake and Seven Seas Lagoon with the Retro Disney World podcast crew. And uh, at this time, we've been able to rent an Animal Kingdom Discovery River Cruise boat. So we've got plenty of space this time around to take you up close and personal to a lot of those different hidden areas and things that you know, aren't there anymore. We can point out some things that maybe you can't get too close to, uh, uh, Discovery Island and River Country. And with a Disney boat captain on board, we can pull up a little closer to those. Uh, maybe pull right up to the River Country slip, right? Jump we'll just let, <laughs> just let everybody off. Just let everybody
3: <laughs> go, for a quick, go for a quick dip. Exactly.
4: Go check on the Sentinel chickens for us while you're here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> See how those mozzies are biting. Which which one which one would actually be more desirable? Because you can you can get to River Country uh, by land. Wouldn't yeah. Discovery Island, Island be yeah. the one that yeah. people would most want to hop off the boat and explore? Exactly,
0: I, just walking through there and over the little bridges. Well, probably find collapse. find
4: find find some old Pablo Cruz eight tracks <laughs> laying around. Just on plug there. them in, <laughs> kick back on the
0: beach. That'd be great. So uh, if you are interested in joining us, we'd love to have you. You can go right to retrowdw.com. And uh, up in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the Lake and Lagoon Tour logo. Just click that to buy your tickets. Um, like I said, there's not a lot of tickets left, um, but we do have a very special gift. And, guys, we, we talked about on other episodes, it's almost ready for production at this point. It is getting better by the day. I am so excited about it. And um, I think uh, you said, Brian, it, it, it's a tough top-to-top to top the fountain from Epcot 35, but this is this is pretty cool
4: it's uh you know the the hallmark of classic disney attractions and the theme parks was the attention to detail Mm. and and i think that it's fair to say that in this um thing that is being produced uh crafted shall we say by artists uh that the attention to detail is second to none yeah
3: yeah i i will have to being on the art side of things it's like every time i open this up and I see a preview of a section that's being worked on. It's like my jaw just drops because <laughs> it's it's so good. It's and, and, really, and, so good. And at
4: its core, and it's so hard to talk about it without talking yes. <laughs> about it. But at its core, it really does harken back to uh, the era of Walt Disney World that we love, mm-hmm. and yep. and uh, that that holds a special place that that hooked all of us. Uh, and JT not being here tonight, um, uh, it's. Uh, it it, it it he may not have the the same affinity for this item that we do. Uh, but you know, I can just remember sitting there poring over this item mm-hmm. uh, in the past when I was a youngster and just being before I visited Disney World, after I visited Disney World. and uh, so when you find out what it is you're going to want to spend hours staring at it. That's right. Playing, That's playing right. with it and dreaming about it.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's not the Pirates of Caribbean keychain, right? We're not giving that. <laughs>
4: no, it's, it's the Western River Expedition, a full uh, virtual reality ride through. Uh, <laughs> Everything you wanted. We're, 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 com- we're constructing the ride piece by piece. Not really, guys. Mm-hmm. No, no, don't get too no. excited.
0: So we hope that a lot of you can come out uh, on November 17th and join us for the Lake and Lagoon Tour. Uh, we do have sailings at 11.15, 12.30, and one forty five available. Uh, like I said, there's only a couple tickets left, so you got to get those. Uh, later in the day, uh, we will also announce a, a time and a place where you can come meet us afterwards because as soon as one boat ends, we got to kind of jump on the next one and get the next door going, so if you want to come meet with us and have a drink with us
3: afterwards. We'll, we'll, yeah a more relaxed time to just talk yeah and say hello mingle say hello Yeah, not very rushed you know casual if you've
4: got any cool ephemera to bring and show us bring, bring it along we'd love to see it and and we don't want people to think they have to pay to hang out with us right like, right you know, yeah it's the the, the the tour is for you guys uh the boat tour this is just uh if you want to raise your favorite adult beverage or a uh, cold sarsaparilla
0: yeah Come with on, the boys. Come on up and, and visit us. So we'll we'll let everybody know ahead of time where that is, uh, especially if you're on the tour. We'll, we'll announce that via an email to everybody as well. Um, but uh, we're also going to do a free Epcot walking tour uh, that will be on Sunday, November 18th. We're going to meet at the fountain in front of Spaceship Earth at 11 a.m. And it's about a one and a half to two hour walking tour, mainly of Future World, of all the different things that are still there and hidden, things that used to be there, some funny stories um, and go around. And we we did it last year. We had a great time We had a nice turnout and um, a lot of people joined us. And even some people bought real 35 millimeter cameras and took our picture, which I thought was phenomenal. Who, Who was that, Brian?
4: Uh, Erica, Erica Rose Dade. That's right. So thank you, thank you for the pictures. We love them; yeah. they were fantastic. And,
3: and you may get wet. <laughs> yeah. Just a little one, <laughs> as as I did on on the walk. Yes, yes, it's
0: correct. We even that was that was where we had uh, somebody who had the the city card. Right, we were able to get into the special meeting group over at Imagination.
4: We, 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 well, we had two things. We had, uh, we had some DVC members who took us up in small groups to see the imagination lounge, yep. uh, for, for DVC members. And we did, uh, we, we, we combined our, our Disney <laughs> visa cards and got into the, uh, special meet and greet section up there as well. That's so, right. uh, you know, it was a added bonus, we can't promise any of those things. I'll bring my Disney visa card. We'll though. see how, yeah,
0: maybe we'll, we'll have to, uh. Rochambeau to see who can go in, you know. But
4: uh, we'll see what we can do. But we hope to see you there. We'll walk around uh, Future World. And uh, and maybe if we're really feeling it, we'll move into World Showcase this time. You never know.
0: There's there's a couple stories we can tell there. Was it uh, how the the Denmark bathrooms, what is it? Uh,
3: That's. Yeah. 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 Yeah, There's all kinds of things. Yeah. So much Epcot to discuss.
4: That's yeah, right. well, we, everybody can stand in the spot where Alex Haley stood and promised us the Africa Pavilion. <laughs> yeah, that's right. See you in a year. <laughs> right, he, didn't, he didn't say which year.
3: <laughs> I'll be so yeah, specific. We, we do know where that sign was. We have the light identified now and everything. Yeah, we so. can go recreate. Yeah, we can recreate point that. the sites. Here's where Israel was supposed to be. Here's where <laughs> Spain was supposed to be. So, yeah, we, we can disappoint you all over again. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> So again, head over to retrowdw.com. Click in the upper right hand now. Click in the upper right hand corner where it says Discovery Edition Lake Lagoon Tour for your tickets, and we hope to see you there November seventeenth, two thousand and eighteen. All right, Hal, so can you maybe give us a little overview here on on what Chris did down there at MGM Studios and get us started?
3: Sure, Todd. Tonight we have the pleasure of having Chris DeBeck on the phone with us, who is currently working on incredibly top secret projects with none other than James Cameron. Uh, Now, he worked with James before uh, on some of the specials of uh, Finding the Bismarck and the Titanic, uh, which you may have been familiar with on the Discovery Channel, which was a big deal, and also the IMAX films Aliens of the Deep and Ghosts of the Abyss. But the reason that we're talking with him today is way, way back in 1989, maybe late 1988, uh, he got his start at a little place that we're all familiar with called the Disney MGM Studios, uh, where he was a producer's assistant on all kinds of crazy things. And uh, we are happy to have him share some of his stories at his time uh, at the studio when it was fresh and new. So uh, please welcome Chris.
1: Hi guys, what do you want to know? <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's a good way to start. Well, how do, first of all, how did you start? Were you were you a cast member at Disney and then transitioned into uh, into the production side of things? Or how did you, how did you initially get your job?
1: All right, uh, I'm, I usually the story goes a little long, but I'm going to try to keep it short for you guys. Um, no, you're I went to you good? I went to Penn State for hotel restaurant management. While at Penn State, I got recruited by Disney Walt Disney World College Program. And uh, the, I, I spent three months down at Disney and did my internship. I loved it, so it was great. We, by the way, were the last class at Snow White Village. We destroyed that place, and then they shut <laughs> it down after we were done. So, uh, that, you know, so we did that. While I'm at Disney, uh, my manager said, Chris, you're doing a great job. Oh, by the way, I worked at Captain Cook's ice cream shop at the Polynesian Village. Nice. And uh, you know, my, yeah, my seven roommates loved when I came home because I brought like you know waffle cones and old ice cream and all kinds of stuff from uh, from the store. So, uh, so I did that. My manager said, "Chris, we want to offer you a job in the management training program. It's a four year commitment. You need to stay here at Disney, and you get to finish your uh, education. You know, I had two more years at Penn State, but uh, Disney was willing to pay for it as long as I signed a four year commitment." I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Loved it. Within three months of signing that four-year commitment, I absolutely hated it. It just, it was no fun for me because I was working 40 hours a week and then doing 20 hours a week at school at night. So I wasn't having the kind of rip-roaring fun that we had while at uh, Snow White Village. The way it was explained to me is that every three months, they move you to a different area so that you learn the management training program and you do that for four years. So the next assignment I had was at Disney MGM studios before the park opened. They put me in the employee cafeteria dish room. Oh, Oh gosh. Now I I was president of the hotel restaurant management society at Penn state. I was a cocky little bastard when I was there. And now you put me in the dish room. I'm like, really? So, uh, it's whatever. Anyway. So, I, so I went in there and it, it was pretty miserable, kind of, you know, as bad as it sounds every day, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd play around, I'd throw ice out the little hole that you put your train in. <laughs> I get, you know, I make jokes. I'd laugh at people. And uh, one day this lady came by and she said, young man, you seem distressed. What's up? And I said, well, you know, I'm just not having a good day. And I told her my whole story and she's like, well, you know what? We offer something called a cross-utilization program. Uh, You can come work with me and my department for the next three months if you can get your supervisor to sign off on the paperwork. I said, all right, great. So I didn't know what she did, didn't care. I just wanted to get the (laughs) hell out of the employee chapter. So uh, I went to my supervisor, and she didn't even look at me. I mean, she didn't even look at the paperwork. She just said, Chris, we're opening up a studio here, and I need every body I can get. And I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm just a body. I'm not even like a, a person, you know, because, yeah, obviously we are open a studio. And, yeah, it takes a lot of people to do that. But, you know, for me, I, I was just miserable. So uh, this is going to be fun to hear. So I took off my little paper hat, took off my apron, took my name tag off, slammed it down, said a few expletives and told her I quit and walked out the door. As I was walking out the door, she said to me, don't use us as your stepping stone. And I looked at her and I'm like, I have no idea what that meant at the time. So I was so upset. I went back to uh, my apartment with my seven roommates and uh, <laughs> called that lady who gave me the paperwork. And she's like, Chris, calm down. It's okay. I want you to, why don't you come into my office the next day and you can talk to my boss and we'll see what we can do. I'm like, okay, okay. So the next day they send me to a trailer. Way back on the lot they're still like bulldozing palm trees and clearing lots and stuff. I mean you know that's how fresh and new this was, so I go to this trailer and I go in and uh the this lady that I saw the, the before the following day she said, uh, "Just sit down when my boss opens the door, just go in and talk to him about what's going on I said, okay, so I'm sitting there I'm a little nervous. The door opens, and i you know I, I hear the voice of god it's like Come in, young man. So I'm 21, maybe, give or take. Um, I go in, and behind the desk is sitting George Burns from Oh God. If you remember that movie, Oh God, with John Denver? Yeah. I swear to God, the guy looked just like George (laughs) Burns. It wasn't him. It looked just like George (laughs) Burns. So he gestures for me to sit down, and then he crosses his arms and says, Tell me a story. I'm like, okay. And then I just start talking and I, you know, I tell him who I am, what I did, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the last thing I say to him is uh, yeah. And then my boss said, you know, don't use us as your stepping stone. I don't know what that means, but anyway, here I am. So, you know, he's nodding and listening and he takes off his giant Lou Wasserman glasses that he was wearing. (laughs) And he leans across the desk, points his bony finger at me and says, F them. You work for me now. Oh. And I'm like, Okay. And again, I have no idea what's going on other than I just got, I think I just got hired. So he <laughs> said to me, go talk to my assistant and she'll put you in the system and, and you're all set. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I go back out, talk to her. She's on the, the computer you know, looking me up and she goes, Oh no, Chris, you've been red tagged." <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, you're a no rehire status for Disney. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. That just happened yesterday. And she's like, yeah, this goes, it goes quick around here. I, and I all of a sudden start shaking. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, my God. She's like, don't worry about it. You're taken care of. Report to Bungalow 6 tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And I'm like, okay. And as I'm walking out the door, I said, oh, by the way, what do you guys do here? <laughs> I had no idea. So she's like, oh, this is the film and tape department. And I'm like, oh okay now you know i'm walking back to my car and i'm driving home thinking all right well i guess it's going to be okay selling 35 millimeter film and vhs tapes in at the Magic kingdom <laughs> because that's what i thought film and tape was at the time so the next day i report to bungalow five and uh i'm, I'm told to report to this woman named sally hinkle um and they're you know bustling. Yeah, you know, I mean everybody's running around, going crazy. Walkie-talkies everywhere. It's like wow, what's this? So I go in and and I ask for Sally. And and there's this little four foot ten Southern girl from Nashville. She's loading coolers with bottles of water and and uh, soda pop and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I said I'm looking for Sally Hinkle. And you know Sally turns around and goes yeah I'm Sally. Who are you? I said well I'm Chris. I'm supposed to be working with you. And she's like, oh, that's great. All right, listen, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and this. Now, uh, how much experience do you have? I'm like, experience in what? <laughs> and she goes, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you mean. What am I doing here? And she got so mad. She started stomping up and down going, "Gee, God darn it. You know, they gave me another newbie. I can't, I don't want to train anyone now. Oh, my God. And I'm like, Sally, I'm a short guy. I I can do whatever you need me to do. Just tell me what you need me to do. So she she gave me instructions. And for that whole day, I was basically loading coolers, making coffee, all of that stuff. Um, And uh, at the end of the day, I say, so Sally, what exactly is going on? What are you guys doing here? And she just looks at me like stunned that I don't know. And she's like, Chris, this is a television show. This is the two-hour NBC television special for the grand opening of Disney MGM Studios. I just look there and go, "Oh, that's cool." <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, the first job I got in the entertainment industry was the assistant to the craft service girl for the TV show the MGM The Grand. That's uh, that's how it all started. Cool. Oh, and then uh, by the way, um, a, a couple of days go by, and everybody that's working there—the PAs, the, PA, the coordinator—everybody's like, "Chris, how'd you get this job?" <laughs> And I said, oh, I don't know. I went in and I talked to this guy, Jim Washburn, and uh, then he hired me. Literally, you could hear a hush over the entire production office. The production coordinator stands up from her desk and says, Chris, did you actually speak to Jim Washburn? I'm like, yeah, why? Well, you know who he is, right? I'm like, no, I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, Did you ever hear of Michael Eisner? I'm like, yeah, he's the guy who owns this place. Or, I mean, is the president. And, uh, and she just laughs and goes, well, they sent Jim Washburn from Burbank to open the studio. He's the boss of all the bosses. He's Michael Eisner's number one guy. I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. Well, yeah, he's the one who hired me. And literally everybody in the office started treating me like a king after that because they <laughs> thought I had something in with Michael Eisner. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, yeah, that's how I got my start at Disney
4: how the, the thing that would most excite you and I about Jim Washburn was he directed the Paul Lind comedy
3: hour.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's it. There you go. He, uh, yeah, he was a bit of a old timer.
3: Did you end up staying in that position for the, the duration of that shoot. I assume it was probably a couple of weeks, even though it's boiled down to look like just a day or so on the special.
2: So, what's the um, timeline on the special versus when MGM opened? Like, when did they film that versus to the opening day? Like, months before? Like, how when was that?
1: We opened the studio, that that TV show we did, and then they were open, what, like two weeks later, three yeah. weeks later.
2: Okay, and then so after that, that's when you started doing all the different shows on, on property there.
1: Well, you gotta remember, I got fired from Disney. Uh, They hired Jim Washburn hired me as a freelancer. I didn't even know that until the the third show that I'm like, wait, I don't have to go to school. And I'm like, wait, I don't have to follow that commitment, that contract I signed for four years. And, uh, and I was like, well, let's just see where this takes me. And, and yeah, and that's what I was doing. So I, I became freelance kind of without even knowing it. And then the next, job i had um they asked me if i wanted to be the lead craft service guy because you know i learned what sally did and she was from nashville and they they didn't want to keep her around so they asked me if i just wanted to do it on my own and i said yeah sure but i learned enough uh and i met all the people at the studio and they thought well you know let's give chris a shot so uh the next job i did was the fourth fourth of july special i I did like four of those Uh, so that was my next one and then uh I think the next job I had was like Teen Win Loser Draw or something like that. <laughs> I I that mean, I, yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I would have to look at my resume. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have it all written down. I've done probably like five hundred different shows in my career, so yeah.
2: Actually
3: we saw you had a photo from Teen Win Loser Draw on your uh on your page. That's how I initially found you, so
1: Me and Mark Price, yeah, what a character. Me and Mark we we're the same age. We are both young, you know, guys, just uh I, I won't say much more about that. Let, let's put it this way. We hit Church Street Station quite a lot and uh, <laughs> caused some trouble. So. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. uh, so then you were working for
3: that department.
1: Yeah, I ended up working for film and tape for six years thereafter. And uh, I was lucky enough, I got to work on everything that came into the studio. I did a, I did craft service for about a year and a half. Uh, you know, ha- You know, commercials, press events, um I uh I got a nickname when I was doing crafty as the I was called the International Ice Thief. <laughs> so here here's one of those uh you know, the Disney execs didn't like to hear, but I did it anyway. Um when I'm doing crafty, I never I didn't want to buy ice. I didn't like buying ice. I thought it was a waste of money. Because you got all these ice machines all around the parks. I'm like, let me just go fill up a couple of coolers with ice. There's no reason for me to have to buy it. So um I, I figure out a way to go behind Epcot center and I would hit all the different lands and fill my coolers with ice, (laughs) you know, Canada, France, you know, where, whatever the, whatever other, you know, lands are there. Right. Um, and I did that for about six months where I would just, I'd have my Disney badge on and I would just pull up my little van with my coolers, drag them in. I knew exactly where all the ice machines were in all the different lands at Epcot. So I would be in and out within two minutes, if that. And uh, and then finally, uh, I got busted by the manager in Canada, that said, "Where's your work order?" I'm like, "What work order?" Because <laughs> you can't take ice without a work order. I'm like, "Why not? It's frozen water. It's just water, isn't it?" I mean, why can't I take ice? I, I you know I was arguing with her, and then she right. finally is like, "Who's your supervisor? Who's your manager?" And I I was like, oh, I, (laughs) so, um, she ended up calling film and tape. And then, you know, I got in trouble and and they said, Chris, please don't do that again. If you need ice, we'll just give you a work order. I'm like, yeah, but you don't, you know, it's just frozen water. Who cares? You know? Um, and, and then all the PAs around Disney were like, Oh, that's the international ice thief. He got busted for stealing ice over the (laughs) counter.
2: I get the origin of the name now. Yeah. Cause you're,
1: Going to Canada and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, all the different places. Yeah. So, um, but the, so I did that, and uh, and then you know about a year and a half into it, I I, I kind of got bored with doing craft service, and I wanted to do something else. And um, the Muppets were coming to town. Uh, the The Muppets at Walt Disney World, and uh, I, I talked to Matt, who was my supervisor at Disney at the time. And I said, Matt, I really want to stop doing craft service but I, you know, I want to be on the Muppet show. Can you get, can I do that? Can you get me on the Muppet show? Cause I love the Muppets. I grew up with the Muppets. I, I was just a Kermit freak for the Muppets. I loved them. So Matt set me up uh, with an interview with Martin Baker. It was Jim Henson's executive producer at the time. So I was the first person, first local person to be interviewed by Martin. So I, I go in there, And you know Martin's talking to me about this, that, and the other thing, and I'm jumping out of my seat trying to tell him how much I love the Muppets, and I know all the stories, and I know all the characters. And he's like, "Yeah, Chris, obviously, I see that." (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just take it easy. uh, Yeah, take it easy, kid. (laughs) Yeah, I I get you. I get you. Um, And then he said to me, "He's like, well, uh, you know, it looks like you've been only doing craft service. Is that what you want to do in like your career?" And I said, "Martin, I, I really don't know, to be honest." I don't know enough about this business to know what I want to do. And he's like, Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to hire a lot of locals. So I'm going to hire you as a floater PA. And I'm like, all I heard is I'm going to hire you. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Uh, But then he's like, as a floater PA, you're going to work, you know, it's a 10 week production schedule. And each week you're going to work in a different department. One week you'll do wardrobe. One week you'll do art department. One week you'll be a, camera one week will be grip electric because uh florida was a right to work state at the time so i was allowed to do that you know regardless of the union situation right um so so you know he basically hired me as a pa for all these different departments and then at the end of the show he's like so when you're done you come back and then we'll have a nice conversation and tell me what you want to do and i'm like all right great
3: well yeah how 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 great was that
1: yeah exactly so yeah. So anyway, um, I went and I did all these different jobs. Uh, one of the jobs I did was uh, transportation. So I had to uh, uh, drive motorhomes for the talent all around to the different locations we were at. And uh, you know, one night we finished shooting, and I uh, I got into Charles Grodin was one of the actors that was on the show. So I got into his trailer, and I they asked me to move it uh, behind Epcot Center because we were going to be filming at Epcot Center the next day. So I get in and I'm, I'm driving it through the park and then I go up, you know, well, over the roads, whatever in the back road, back out roads. Um, and then I park the motorhome and just as I park it, I, I noticed a, a funny smell and I'm like, you know, something's not right. And, you know, it smelled like a, an electrical thing, like something was burning, but there was no smoke and there was nothing burning. And I, I thought, well, you know, the, those motorhomes sucked. So, I was guessing the engine just was overheating or something. So, I just left it and uh, I just parked it behind Epcot Center and walked away and went back. And then I got a call at like 5 a.m. from my production manager going, Chris, were you the one that drove Charles Grodin's motorhome behind Epcot Center? I'm like, yeah, why? It burned down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean it burned down? Chris, there was a fire at Epcot center last night and Charles, Charles Grodin's motor home is, is literally just burnt to the ground. I'm like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding. And and he's like, yeah. Did you notice anything? Did you do anything? I'm like, yeah, there was a funny smell, but I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything smoldering or, or, you know, I, I didn't see anything burn, burning and, uh, there and he's like oh okay and uh that was sort of the yeah. end of that and then we all went over there and took pictures with it
2: <laughs> was it behind canada near the ice mr spencer
1: <laughs> yeah we tried to put ice on it but it didn't work no, uh, <laughs>
2: international motorhome burner
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so that was uh, charles gordon's motorhome
3: oh man there's a great picture of it too on your site it looks like they literally just grabbed like any some random motorhome from fort wilderness and like gave it to the stars it wasn't like a big fancy airstream or anything it was very
1: no it was nothing fancy they were these motorhomes were used for years yeah did you
3: end up enjoying uh that shoot since you wanted to work on it so badly
1: oh yeah yeah let me finish that story um so yeah it went great i love the muppets there was one day i was on the stage and uh, i was sweeping the stage and um Kevin Clash, he, he played uh, Elmo, and but but he also played all, a lot of different Muppet characters on the Muppet show. So Kevin came out to the stage and I, I'm sweeping, but then all of the characters, the puppets are sitting on sticks on stage and there's nobody around, it's just me. And I just, I'm looking at the uh, Muppets and I'm like, wow, there's Kermit and there's Miss Piggy and oh my God, this is great, you know? And Kevin came out and he said, do you want to try one on? i said excuse me he's like yeah hold on so he takes kermit off its uh stick and he's like here hold your hand up and i'm like no way and he's like way i'm like oh my god okay so i put my arm up and he slips kermit on my arm and i'm like oh my god i have kermit the frog on my (laughs) arm it was so freaking awesome i can't even tell you and and um you know, I, I know I know there was controversy with Kevin Clash long, you know, much many years after that. But yeah. Kevin was a really nice guy. And he 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 was just really nice to me. And, you know, he showed me uh, all the different puppets. And I got to play with uh, the two old guys up in, you know, the, the old men in the theater. St- you know? Statler
4: and Waldorf. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I was I was messing around with them. I was I, he, I was even creating voices for them. And he Kevin was like, wow, you're pretty good. You should think about this. Like,
4: <laughs> the- yeah, maybe not all of those Henson generation puppeteers, I had occasion a couple of years ago to have a conversation with Jim Martin and they're so personable and so nice. Uh, Jim worked on that special too. Uh, he, 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 uh, he had some stories to tell from, from that production. All those Henson people though were so nice from, from the era when Jim was there.
1: Absolutely. And Jim Henson himself was an amazing human being because, uh, we, were, we had a uh, production meeting, and in the production meeting, all the heads of departments were just yelling at each other about budgets and schedule and, you know, n- typical production stuff. And then Jim walks in, and, and everybody just kind of quiets down, and he just smiles. And all he says is, so, what's everybody want for lunch? And, and it diffused the entire room to the point where, uh, you know, everybody just started working with each other and said, hey, you know what, it's fine. We'll, get, we'll, we'll make it work. Don't worry about it. Um, Yeah, Jim, Jim was an amazing human being. So let me finish the Martin Baker. So Martin Baker uh, hired me, as as I said before, the show is over. I drive Jim Henson and the director to the airport. I come back to the production office. Martin calls me and says, Chris, I've heard great things about you. You did a great job. Thank you so much. So now that you've worked in all the different departments, what do you want to do? And I looked at him as serious as I could. And I said, Martin I want to do what you do. And he looks at me and says, but Chris, you've never spent any time with me during the show. Other than when I hired you, you don't know what I do. And I said, Oh no, Martin, I know exactly what you do. Anyone that has the power to give a kid like me, the break you gave. That's what I want to do. And he was floored.
3: Wow. That is okay. So a, that is incredibly profound and, and, B, clearly, that lady when she said "Don't use this as a stepping stone," knew more about you than you knew about yourself at that point.
1: Oh, I—that's when I realized what she had said to me. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Okay. Um. So Martin gave me an assignment. He said, "Chris, for the next ten years of your life, if you want to do what I do, then what you did here, you need to go out and do on a movie, a TV show." Um, a commercial, a music video, a uh, sitcom, a documentary, go do everything, be wardrobe, be art department, be this, be that, you know, do everything you can in, in 10 years. And I guarantee you, you'll be one of the best producers in town. And that's what exactly what I did. And my resume is all over the place, but it's all over the place because of what Martin told me to do. That that is part of part of that training helped me when I worked with uh, Jim Cameron on his underwater documentaries, because I was his fixer. I basically got everything done that needed to be done. And whether I knew how to do it or not, didn't matter. Figure it out. That's great. So, you want to hear about the illegal things I did at Disney? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So. While you're, you know, we're working at Film and Tape, we did all the press events that came in from all the international f- facilities and, you know, stations from all around the world. You know, Disney's 15th anniversary, 20th anniversary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we would get assigned parking passes by security because, you know, that's the only way you could get in and out of the parks and the security uh, the gates and all that stuff. They never gave me enough parking passes. So one day I just grabbed one of the passes and I looked at it. I'm like, you know what? I could do this. I can yeah. make these. <laughs> so I started counterfeiting parking passes, but I only, I only gave them to production. You know, I, If a PA needed a parking pass, I'm like, here, just give it back to me. So I, I kind of signed them in and signed them out a little bit. But I made enough of them, so I never had to go without. That was on for probably about three months, four months. And then I started getting a little cocky and I started creating something called a gold football. (laughs) Now the gold football is in the cars for VP and above. So only the executives got the gold football. (laughs) And that would allow you to get full access anywhere you want to go behind the scenes of any park, wherever, whenever.
3: So if you want to go park in the Tomorrowland parking, you can just pull right up into Tomorrowland and park your car there.
1: In the back, backstage, behind everything. You know, if you wanted to go in the tunnel... Yeah, yeah. No, no. This was access. This was like full uh, employee access or even better than employee access. You could go to places where people weren't allowed to park cars and you'd see an executive's car with a gold football on it. No one would question it.
2: Main Street, so, USA. Uh,
1: yeah, pretty much. Um, so I got cocky and I started making gold footballs. So, <laughs> Well, one one day uh, I was and I put a gold football in my car because you know that was me. I, I'm like I'm I'm gonna play gold football boy for a while, and um, I went back again. I always got busted at Epcot Center. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I was going back uh, Thunder Mountain or no Space Mountain. I was uh, Space Mountain, and uh, the the security guard looked in my car and said, "Why do you have a gold football?" It was the first time that anyone's ever asked me that. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, gold footballs are your only executives. We're so supposed to have those. And you seem a little young for an executive. And I'm like, um, I'm just borrowing my boss's van. And he looks in the back and goes, what's all the coolers and the Coke and the and the water bottles? That's not, it can't be your executive's car. I'm calling my supervisor. And I'm, sh- I'm like, oh, I'm like, damn it. So they called the supervisor. He came over. They grabbed my gold football. They started running it on the computer. And then four more security officers came over and they surrounded me. They would not let me leave. And one of them, I heard one of them say, I'm calling the sheriff because this is theft. Oh, and I'm like, Hey, Hey guys, wait a second. There's no theft. What are you talking about? You know, well, who's your supervisor? And you know, who's this? And who's that? And I gave them all the names of my bosses. And then, uh, Matt had to drive over from the studio and, and pick me up. They confiscated my, my minivan with all the, the drinks and the food and stuff in it. Oh, my God. And now, this is, this is Disney security. You know, they, you know, we're on property, so they have full jurisdiction. Um, so Matt says to me, Chris, what are you doing? And, and I told Matt the whole story of me making fake car passes and the fake gold footballs, and, and he was so pissed. So I had to go and talk to Bob Allen. Bob was running the studio at the time uh, or like studio manager or something. And, uh, you know, they said Bob got a call from security saying, Chris, they want to call the police. They want you arrested because they see this as theft because technically you could put visitors in your van and get them into the park for free by using this gold football. And I'm like, but Bob, I don't do that. I'm driving a minivan with coolers and coffee in it. Give me a break. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, Chris, I know, I know. But that's the way they think. So I said, so Bob says to me, I'm taking care of this. Don't worry about it. We'll, uh, you know, I'll, we'll figure it out. I, I told him I'm suspending you for two weeks without pay. And, and I was like, what? And he's like, eh, don't worry about it. I'm not going to suspend you. You're the only one doing this. So uh, just don't do it again. I said, all right, Bob, I promise I, I won't do it again. So as I'm walking out of his office, I, I, I like remember. I'm like, oh, by the way, Bob you have one of my gold footballs in your car. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, you remember three months ago when you uh, got a rental car and you forgot to take it out and you, you needed a new one? Yeah, that's mine. Pretty good, huh? And he just looked at me and shook his head. <laughs>
4: at least they didn't recognize you as the ice guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, the, you know, the ice guy was different people, different security. <laughs> But I, I told I, Disney at the time in the in 1989, 90, 91, it was the wild, wild west for film and tape because you know you know Disney MGM Studios had just opened up and we were the kings of that studio. It was a studio at the time before it was a theme park. Now it's strictly a theme park, from what I hear. I, I haven't I haven't been down in years, so I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, film and tape got we got everything anything we needed to do we got to do um, and it was a lot of fun because you know that that's what lured the, t- the the studio needed top filmmakers to come in and work at the studio so that the tourists would have something to look at something to see something to watch you know right right
2: now, now when you you've seen obviously a lot of studio work television film things like that when you compare to what you know now to what you saw then at the studios was it complete bs was it like a, a full attempt effort like what because we I, I always like i was at the age where i went there and i was like wow this is like i'm really on a movie set
1: oh everything was real that we were doing i uh, i was the assistant to leslie belsberg when oscar sylvester stallone's film came to town so i was i worked with john landis oh wow on yeah on, on his uh, movie oscar that's as real as it gets I mean, we, I, I worked, uh, I got to meet Steven Spielberg, George Lucas. I spilled, uh, a bottle of water on Terry Garr. Uh, I ran, <laughs> I ran over Leonard Nimoy's foot, uh, when a golf cart, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it was very real. John Ritter was an awesome guy. We joked around a lot. I have a picture with him, you know, when him picking his nose, trying to flick it at the camera, as, as he's taking my picture. Um, no, it was 100% real. It was all, you know, cameras, everything was real about it. Um, as a matter of fact, that was the one real thing about the park when it opened, is that it was a working studio, you know, and, and it was a studio before a theme park.
3: Did you guys, it seemed like you guys got the, like, the best of everything that was current at the time.
1: Um, pretty much, but, you know, uh, we, Chapman Leonard, uh, Dolly's, they were on the property, um, post group, obviously, uh, you know, we had our own post facility there. So, and then, uh, camera rentals, we had our own camera rental department, grip electric department. Um, yeah, everything, it was a fully functioning studio when it opened. Um, and a lot of different shows, uh, we did, a Michael Jackson was there and, uh, you know, when we were doing, uh, I think it was, let's make a deal. Michael Jackson tried to use the bathroom on the Let's Make a Deal stage, and security <laughs> turned him away. Well, no, they turned him away and said, "You can't use this bathroom because you're not cleared." And his whole entourage is like, "But it's Michael Jackson!" And the security guards were straight up going, "No, I'm sorry. This is a game show set, and because the contestants need to be um, sequestered away in their dressing rooms, we can't have anyone access the bathroom that you want to use." So please just walk around the building and there's a bathroom on the other side.
2: That's awesome. That's cool. How how did you run over Leonard Nimoy's foot?
1: Uh, He was doing some interview with a press event and I was coming around the corner. He had just finished (laughs) and he stepped away and, and I, you know, I was a little terror with the golf carts. (laughs) you know, I, I didn't see him, he didn't see me, and, and he was like, ah! And I'm like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and he's like, what, well, you gotta watch where you're going. And he's like yelling at me, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then he he saw I was just a young kid, and I felt bad. And he's like, oh, it's okay, it's alright. And, uh, and I just drove away, it's pretty funny. <laughs> you, you,
4: you know, do you play the lottery? Because every story you tell, you should have been out of the entertainment industry before you ever got in it. And it just oh, keeps... Yeah. You know, it keeps working out for you.
1: You know, listen, uh, innocence is a, is, a, is a golden in this business. <laughs> you just play like you don't know what you're doing, and people let you get away with certain things. Vanna White was awesome. I mean, she was everything that you ever imagined. I mean, she was just a Southern girl, sweet as can be. I mean, she she was just gorgeous. She, she baked a cake for us. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I accidentally ran over Pat Sajak, too, in the hallway. Yes, I that happens. Yeah, he he's not as nice, but I, I can't really get into that part of it.
3: <laughs> he kind of seems
1: like he would be that way, but yeah, we uh, won't talk about that. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, yeah, there, there's a few stories, negative stories like that.
3: Plus, he's probably like what five three or something, so it's probably easy to run over him because he was not very visible.
1: Well, again, I was coming around a corner and he was, and we just kind of slammed <laughs> into each other. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He had a gold football on a golf cart, you know, just hauling ass around. Yeah, yeah.
1: I did a lot of parades. I did a lot of the uh, Easter parade and the Christmas parade and the and the uh uh Fourth of July specials. I worked a lot with Regis and uh Oh yeah. Joan, Joan London. London and I, Yeah. I was actually Joan London's talent PA. I uh, babysit babysitter kids when she was on set. Oh, okay. But uh Joan London was awesome. I loved her. Uh but for me working at the uh studio that made me the person I am today. And, and this the one takeaway I have is that a lot of kids, a lot of people go to film school to work in the film intelligence industry. My film school was Disney MGM studios. Now, I, I give all the credit in the world to the people that worked there and that I worked with and on all the experiences and opportunities that I had at the studio at the time. And, uh, you know, if, if I ever stand up and win an Emmy or an Academy award, I'll
4: thank Disney MGM studios. We we hear that a lot from, you know, it didn't operate that long as a production studio, but you, you the people that work there, you know, Hal's been talking to uh, people who worked in the animation side of the, at the animation studio that used to operate there. And they are so passionate about that Florida studio and the work that they did there and the impact it had on their lives.
1: You you guys, I'm still friends with all of the same people that I worked with on that show. And by the way, there's some famous production guys now. You don't know this, but Shark Tank, you know, one of the executive producers is Clay Newbell. Clay was my production coordinator at Disney and Jam (laughs) Studios. He was a Jungle Cruise tour guide. No way. (laughs) So, So Clay's the executive producer on Shark Tank, and he's done a lot of big TV network shows. Jonathan Taylor who happened to be the nephew of Jim Washburn. He produced the Osbournes. He's got two Emmys for the Osbournes. Wow. Oh my gosh. And then uh, Brent Wilson, one of the other guys I worked with, um, he's just finished producing a, a music documentary about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. That's getting a lot of acclaim. So, yeah, uh, we all we all did something. Yeah, one of our uh, TDs, our technical directors, was a guy named Larry Gitano. And, uh, I think Larry works for, uh, he's in Washington, D.C. doing like NBC News, but he's like the head, head, head TD guy for, you know, NBC News. Hmm. uh, Working with all the presidents and such. Yeah, there's a lot of us, uh, you know, luckily some of us moved on to a lot of bigger and better things, you know. Oh, yeah, but it sounded
3: like it was a great place to, you know, cut your teeth on stuff and get that experience and then parlay because otherwise if you're not in California, I mean, if literally, if you're not in California or, you know, Vancouver later on, it's like you're just not going to have the opportunities to get into a big market.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. And and that's what was great about Disney is because well, in Florida is that it was a right to work state. So, you know, you could work on a union show, but you didn't have to be a union. And they, they bring you into the fold, but I'm in three unions because of uh, Orlando I'm in the Costume, design, yeah, costume Designers Union. Uh, I'm in a IA union and like a, a production coordinator union or something like that.
3: Yeah, actually, I was I was going to ask you, it's like, did they end up trying to recruit? You? Because it was, that was the big draw of Florida. It was a right to work state. So you didn't have to necessarily hire union talent. Um, but it sounded like there were some around and then they would probably try to get you in as yeah. they
1: could. No, they did. Yeah, and I did. I signed up, you know, we did a show called Fortune Hunter. And uh, uh, I got into the art department, I, whatever union they were. I, I got into them because of Fortune Hunter. And uh, oh, I also opened up Universal Studios too. Oh, really? Yeah, that was uh, I was a talent handler for Sylvester Stallone. Okay. <laughs> well, it's it's Orlando. I mean, there's not that right. much production. There. You get whatever you can get.
4: You and know? yeah, you you were a freelancer, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
4: So you truly yeah. have done everything.
1: Eh, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I even did hair and makeup once on a show. Really? Yeah. It, uh, well, the hair and makeup, you know, they got sick. There was a flu going around or something. And we didn't have anyone. And they needed touch-ups for the talent on set. And I've been watching for years, you know, hair and makeup people do touch-ups. And all their gear was still in the trailer. They just weren't there. So I, I grabbed their stuff and I said, here, I'll do this. I, I got this. I, I've been watching it long enough. I, I, I think I can do this. So I did air and makeup on, uh, for like three days till some of the people got back.
3: Nice. Oh, and did you, did you do a music video? Uh, like they told you.
1: I did. I, uh, I did, uh, a music video for the Mickey Mouse club. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was with, uh, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, but they they were little kids. They were like ten years old. Right, right. right. Um, I I did some with Taylor Dane. I did some with uh, uh, shoot, Debbie Gibson. I did some stuff with her. Uh, all those you know '80s type stars. Oh, one of the the early jobs I had was I was the assistant tour manager for the New Kids on the Block.
2: <laughs> oh, there you go. No
1: way. I met them. They came and did a Disney special. It was like Disney meets the new kids. And um, that's how I first met them. So I did that show. They, I, you know, Again, I was similar ages of the guys. And they decided to bring me on. And I went on tour with them. And it was insane. Absolutely insane. And I still have memorabilia from the new kids. And it, it, it's pretty funny stuff. I got a few pictures. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun.
3: It just it just sounds like you ended up you ended up having a really great life from and can you imagine if you just went went into management and just managing some hotel somewhere today instead?
1: i I can't even tell you where I would be if it wasn't for me getting pissed off at the my supervisor at the dish room.
3: <laughs> well, Chris, thank you. this This has been absolutely wonderful. and and thanks for sharing all your stories. and uh, we will definitely. Be back in contact again uh, with you for for some more stories
1: later on. You got it, guys. I love I love talking about this shit. And uh, if I find, I, I actually have a ton more. I'm a hoarder for paraphernalia, and I have every single production badge. I saved them all from when I worked on, on the backlot.
4: Oh, cool! Right, so we might we might need them for our mgm 30th anniversary event so we might borrow them from you
3: and and if you can make us one of those gold
1: footballs yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. all right guys we'll take care thank you so much
4: thanks chris
0: thanks all right chris I really thank you very much for that interview that was really awesome to to hear all these wonderful stories and how thank you for for setting that up a really great job getting this stuff
3: together oh my Could could It's resist. the perfect
0: companion guide to our game show episodes, you know.
3: <laughs> yes, and and with Chris's experience, I I knew there would be some real chess in that interview. which He did That's not right. disappoint.
0: So, well, thanks again to Chris, and um, don't forget we're gonna we're gonna have another guest um, uh, interview coming up in a few weeks. Uh, we're gonna be speaking with Jim Sarno, and you're not gonna want to miss this episode coming up. It's another mini episode before we get to our big celebration, which we're gonna talk about in a second. But um, what do you guys think about the, the interview coming up with Sarno? It's,
4: yeah.
3: If you like the mm-hmm. land or you like journey into imagination, or if you like people who do things that they're not supposed to do. And you
4: like sto- stories about uh, out of school about classic Imagineers yeah. and things that went on in Imagineering.
3: Yep. You're yeah, like especially it. if you like purple <laughs> robots too, I think.
4: Or Teddy Roxman. Yeah, or Teddy, Teddy Ruxpin. It's a...
3: It's I mean, I can't think of a single thing on that list that someone who listens to our show would know. Yeah, exactly. Know. It's, like, <laughs> it's like there's a Venn diagram. It's all like, there. All of there, there are a yeah. couple
0: people, though, Hal, that when I said purple, they almost lost it because they thought I was going to say purple dragon, and I said purple robot. So, uh, you know, there probably are a handful out there. But don't worry. Pur- purple dragons gotcha. are coming in the future, but we got a purple robot to talk about <laughs> first. So, uh, so look for that. That will be episode forty three point seven five, and then we are preparing a very special celebration episode, um, specifically around somebody's birthday, right, guys?
3: Is it uh,
4: mine?
0: Sorry, you're not ninety yet.
4: No. Yeah. Oh so. <laughs> Oh, oh, then you must be talking about uh, ninety. Yeah. Huh? Ninety. I don't know who's ninety. <laughs> well, we're going to be taking you back to Mickey's. Betty White, is it about
0: Betty Betty White? Betty (laughs) White, Betty White. We're going to be taking you back to Mickey's birthday land in celebration of his 90th birthday coming up this November. So you want to definitely look in your podcast app exactly for November 18th. That's Mickey's birthday. Well, we'll be taking you back to birthday land, which then became Mickey's Toontown Fair and Starland. And there was another one, another name thrown in there that we're going to talk about that not many people remember. So we're going to talk about that as well. And uh, how well, we got we got one mini mood to talk about, right? Oh, mini temp <laughs>
3: grandma ducks, temporary tents.
0: I mean, things that weren't supposed right. to
3: last. Super buildings made out of crappy plywood. <laughs> you name it. We got so many wonderful things. That stage oh, show, which actually was pretty good. I I've got the stage I've got a video of that. So got play ah, Oh yeah. Page. I used to have a thing for the blonde that used to be in that, but we you talk know, about that.
0: one person we spoke to a while back was in that show and we should try to touch base with her and find out if she'll give us a back behind the scenes tour of what it was like to work there. So
3: we'll see if oh, we can be get her good. on the show. So I hope it's not her because then I'll be. <laughs> it big. might be. It might be.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and it's not often that a land uh, gets its own train station. That's right? true. And, yep. and uh mm-hmm. this one got its own train it station. Cha-
0: so. It and changed an opening day attraction. How's that? In more ways than yeah, one over the years. So.
3: We're gonna listen to that birthday express song. Oh, like oh my gosh, times. can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> All
0: those candles. Can't wait. Alright, well that was for Mickey's sixty fifth. Or I'm sorry, that was for Mickey's sixtieth that we're gonna talk about. He's now ninety, so that dates us back thirty <sighs> years ago. It's crazy. Yep. We'll take you back November eighteenth, two thousand
4: eighteen. He doesn't look a day nope. older. <laughs> It's, well, let's be let's be fair. I mean, he was pretty creepy looking for like the first forty years that he existed. <laughs> he, had, he had to put a little. until they started rounding
0: him out put a little meat on the bones.
3: Yeah. Do you think he got some of that Dick Clark well, stuff? Yeah, he, yeah, it's probably it. He it's, did
0: get a little sly and cool there in the, in the late '80s with his jean jacket and mm, sneakers.
4: Maybe he's like that. Maybe he's like that mouse from the Green Mile that's just going to live for <laughs> you know for hundreds of years. <laughs>
0: Well, set your clocks. November eighteenth, two 2018, episode 44, Mickey's Birthday Land, will be arriving in your inbox. Until then, we'll see you then. Give us a shout out on iTunes if you can. Send us any of your questions and comments to podcast at retrowdw.com And till next time, Brian, take us out.
4: Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen. And on the web, at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles.